Welcome once again to This Week in the Ancient Near East, the podcast that takes archaeology exactly as seriously as it deserves. I'm Alex Jaffe, director of the Bob and Ray Institute of Archaeology at the University of Southern North Dakota at Hoople. Inevitably, I am joined by two real academics from actual institutions, Professor J.P. Dessel of the University of Tennessee and Professor Rachel Hallett of the State University of New York at Purchase. We're coming to you from our usual booth at the Hookah Bar, high atop the Harry Anslinger Institute for Alkaloid Studies here on the beautiful Hoople campus. Today, we're back in Spain, talking about a burial cave on the western Mediterranean island of Minorca from the excellently named Middle Naviform period, so about 1000 BCE. The cave contained hundreds of burials, which is all well and good, but also wooden containers containing bundles of dyed human hair. And if that wasn't enough, tests of the hair showed that the people had been consuming large quantities of alkaloids. These psychoactive drugs included atropine, scopalamine, and ephedrine, which is to say hallucinogens, sedatives, and stimulants. So what's going on here? Were people going to giant raves in caves? Was it for fun or for ritual purposes, like partying with the dead? Was there a difference? Put another way, was there a difference between going to Studio 54 and going to Notre Dame? It's hard to say. Either way, the hair suggests they were pretty out of it. Maybe there's a lesson here. Okay, let's do a lightning round. It's the part that everybody agrees about. Um, okay, what's the strangest place you've ever been to a party? <laughs> oh. Hmm. And you know me, I go to so many parties. Well, I figure perhaps in your youth. <laughs> I mean, we could we could broaden it to be the strangest party. That might be a little too broad. That doesn't help. Uh... I think all parties are strange. <laughs> Why is it that people stand around talking to each other? <laughs> what is that? Right, right. Yeah, I, I don't think I've been to any strange places for parties. People's basements isn't strange. <laughs> were, were they paneled? <laughs> Undoubtedly. Okay. So that's... Oh, wait, no. I do think that when I was in grad school, there was once some sort of graduate student party in the Oriental Institute with dancing. I, mean, I think that's a real memory. Okay. <laughs> it sounds like a violation of many regulations. <laughs> right, right, right. I, I think it's international a law. Yeah. There was the Asor reception at the, what was that Greek temple in? Oh, was that Nashville or something? In Nashville yes. with the statue of Athena. Right, right. Oh wow. That was a strange that was a that was an interesting place. Right. No, that was. Uh all right, I'll give you one. Okay. Uh I don't know how it came to be, but 
Pierre de Marichegi had a end of season party at Tell Your Moot that I ended up at. And it was in some kind of sub, I can't remember the exact details, but it was some kind of a subterranean stone, you know, <laughs> cave-like place. At Tell Your Moot? Well, where did they stay? Did they stay at a mouse? I there think so. Been, there would have been those kinds of places at a mouse. And mm. and there were stone pedestals of some sort or at least blocks. And he had some of his staff dress up as in togas and and standing on these things as statues. <laughs> wow. Pierre. Yeah. Oh, wow. So Pierre, that, you sly dog. <laughs> so, yeah, really. So so that I think would be on yeah that's good on my list okay but nowadays people with their destination weddings and all of these kinds of things go to all sorts of strange and interesting and exotic places that is true that's true and that was my answer it was one of the original destination weddings uh oh. uzi avner's uh -huh. wedding in the mountains of, uh, north of a lot and you had oh. to follow little signs that say this way, that way, this way, that way. And there was a big party afterwards in this little valley with sand, and 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 it was uh, it was great. Uh, yeah, it was a little hard to get to, but uh -huh. um, did you need four wheel drive? <laughs> it was helpful, <laughs> but uh, any comments about the strangest party? Nah. I think they're all strange. They're all strange <laughs> because we're, well, we're all just, we're, we're social butterflies. There's so many right. that we've, we've gone to. Would you go to a party in a cave? I, I, like I, just, I just sort of said I did. You did. Oh, well you did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you like caves as we've established. Exactly. In right. episode 274 B. <laughs> um, yeah. So no, I would, I would not go to a, party in a cave um but that's if just it was uh, if it was on the island of minorca ah. in the, the balearic islands in the western mediterranean now i would i would overcome my disdain for caves hmm. all right so now let's get to the topic <laughs> the crux of the biscuit s <laughs> karate cave in minorca yeah um dating to around 1000 or a little bit after BCE. Yeah. Yep. Um, it's, and I love this part, the middle Naviform period. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That is a great name. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what it refers to, but I, I would like to be Naviform. <laughs> Perhaps my new diet will produce that. And and what did they find? The burials, uh, among other things, the burials of I think two hundred individuals, right? Yeah. And wooden boxes, these carved kind of trilobate boxes with carved lids, containing dyed human hair. Correct. And right. when they tested the hair, what did they find what? at the other end of the mass spectrometer? Alkaloids, psychotropic drugs. And right. this is where the party begins. <laughs> and for some ultimately ended. <laughs> Atropine, scopalamine, and ephedrine. Nicely pronounced, too. Thank you. I've been practicing <laughs> all morning. 
Two um, of which I, are, are psychoactive and one of which is is some form of adrenochrome. <laughs> Those fear and loathing fans. <laughs> it's true. Well, and that's an interesting thing that we should talk about because they all kind of do different things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which were all um, described really accurately in this article. Really, But carefully. the hair, it's not like, oh, there's a single hair. It's like big clumps of hair. Right, exactly. Right. And and while the text was saying strands of hair, the picture was saying big clumps of hair. <laughs> yes. And yeah. Um, and I think of okay. hair. Yeah. Um, the, it wasn't just wooden containers. Also, sometimes antlers were used as containers. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, stuffed in there. Wooden they, were sealed, they were sealed up um, with the hair inside. Uh, and one of them was like a tripartite container with these three round compartments. And I think that's where they took the hair from. That one was a wooden one. And the hair is full of drugs. Right. <laughs> right. Literally a bunch of dope heads. <laughs> in, in the middle Naviform period. Right. Yeah. And I should point out, I want to point out anyway, that drugs, when you take them, penetrate your whole body, including your hair, and they go in through the roots and then continue as the hair grows out. So what they can tell from this hair is that these drugs were being in, ingested over a period of time, maybe about a year, because it wasn't just at the root level, it was all through the hair. Exactly. Right. And they come from night, nightshades and... and uh plants like the mandrake and henbane right. and the thorn apple and joint pine. So now our listener is going to be running out to the backyard looking for all these things. And... Right. I love the, that these very sort of, you know, old English kind of names. Mm, uh, mm. And, and didn't mandrake root enter into the sort of popular culture through Harry Potter or something? Yes, exactly. You pull them out and they have screaming babies on That's, the end. Exactly. I, I something have some like recollection that. of that. So, yeah. so <laughs> what's, what's going on here? <laughs> this is our second episode talking about uh, uh, drug use and um, Spanish burials, Iberian burials. Right. Um, but in this case, it <laughs> it's, not, that... it's not invariably toxic. And, <laughs> exactly. you know. right. uh, and the, um, the results were far more or potentially more felicitous um, greater, you know, well, delirium being what it is, but um, <laughs> uh, hallucinations, uh, changed percept perceptive abilities, um, clarity in the case of uh, the um, adrenaline, um, all tied to the the overarching topic, the overarching theme of ritual. Yeah. Well, and, and see, but. Uh, Ephedrine also is a um, decongestant, <laughs> <laughs> right. and it's and it's used for weight loss. Right. So yeah. maybe it's yeah. just like Weight Watchers down there in the cave, and and you, you take these other drugs to work up a sweat, and right. I don't know, just throwing that out there. Right, but it also it it induces excitement and enhancement of mental alertness and physical activity. All these other right. good things it does, um, but I also want to. I, I think we need to come back to that. But can I just <laughs> can I just kind of spell out the ritual as as the archaeologists understand it? First, the 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 people were buried, um, right. not all at one time, by the way, um, and then little bits of their hair was cut off, 
And then the hair was dyed red. And then it was put in these wooden or antler containers. And then it was sealed. And the seal and the ceilings, the lids were decorated. And then it was put in a back chamber of this cave. And that was that. So, so right. your head was shaved after you were dead? Well, was, yeah, I don't know if it was, I don't know if it was shaved. I mean, a, a chunk of your hair was cut. Yeah. Exactly. And not all the way down to the root. They don't have the, the bulb of the bulb, right. they said. Um, they, they do talk about um, tonsure rituals, um, which was head shaving, but in a, in a kind of comparative perspective. And I thought that was, I hadn't really thought about that because there's a lot of that goes on cross-culturally. I don't think um, they have evidence for that, though. I mean, they have hair. <laughs> where did the hair come from? Oh, yeah, no, I know. I know. Um, I thought that was carrying things a little too far, but we can talk about that. That's just my, my opinion. Um, so what I want to know is, yeah, there's a lot of directions that we can go in. There's so many directions. Just pick, just pick one, damn it. <laughs> um, uh, you know, the, the, our usual rehashing of, oh, everything is ritual. Everything is organized and, you know, carefully programmed or, or is this just like recreational? And what's the what's the difference? Is there right. a difference? Can I had that difference? question also, though I would not say that ritual is inherently programmed or pre-programmed. I think there can be a lot of spontaneity in ritual. Mm -hmm. I mean, there can be a structure to ritual, but within that ritual, there can be a lot of spontaneity. So if you think of, you know, snake handlers. You don't know what those crazy snakes are going to do. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> right? You know, and if you take any kind of psychotropic drug in a in a ritual, you have no, no idea <laughs> what yeah. you're going to do. Um, so I think that that's, I, I don't necessarily think that they're not, they're also programmed. I think that there's a lot of room for spontaneity and improvisation and innovation. Right, right. Um, within a Doesn't structure. it get boring though? Can can you imagine some um you know middle naviform person going oh I have to do this again Dad? every time every time we say naviform I want our our uh, listeners <laughs> to, 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 to take a shot <laughs> yeah but take a shot of you know cinnabar cinnabar flavored liqueur no no we recommended not doing that oh, right right I take right. that back yeah. <laughs> don't take the cinnabar flavored yeah a shot of nightshade but not the wrong nightshade um okay so but, what but i do no but alex i think you make a really good point and that was something that i also had a question which is what's the difference between recreational and ritual um and is there a difference in these very earliest sort of you know uh, structured forms of of this kind of thing and is recreational use once it's right or what is ritual use once it's recognized as being <laughs> recreational also is that then do shamans then all of a sudden create lots of barriers to other people using it so that they can yeah. you know both sort of control the agenda but also enjoy the agenda that's a nice question i mean it all it all sounded to me like you know studio 54 um, or or a Led Zeppelin plane ride in, in the early 1970s, where it's expected that you're going to do all of these things and, you know, you're going to 
enjoy the confusion and the hallucinations over and over and over again. Um, so is is that does that conventionalize it? That does that routinize it, um, and and therefore make it not recreational? Well, I think a lot of it. I mean, I think there's a sort of a tax and a you know a, a terminology issue, and I don't necessarily know if the categories of recreational use would be, you know, necessarily used by late bronze or iron age populations mm. on the it's other hand, not relevant well, categories well mm. i don't know now thinking about it why wouldn't it why wouldn't it be well, but it gets sort of back to this issue of religion encompassing all aspects of life right you always talk about how religion is everywhere and how religion is almost the overarching structure of the social um life of the community so i, I feel I like Sorry, no, sorry. I don't know what I was saying, so go ahead. I, I just wanted to bring good, though. Yeah, no, I wanted to bring us back to the physical evidence because I think it's relevant to exactly what what you're saying. Because um because so first of all, this the one that they analyzed um had the lid had these lug handles which string was attached. So basically it worked like a hinge, and they are postulating that it was open and closed multiple times. In other words, they're putting hair in it from more than one individual, or they're very likely opening and closing it and putting hair from more than one individual. They've also pointed out that there are 200 burials in this cave and only a small portion of them have had a little bit of hair cut off and stuck into these, these containers. No, hold so, it. Well, just to, I, is that what happened or is that there are only a few of these containers that had hair that were preserved? Because they talked about how there's a cache that this hair came from a specific cache in the right. back of the stuck in the back of the cave at the and end sealed of the period. With impacted clay. Right. And they sort of are drawing a correlation to this cache dating to about 800 BCE. And this 800 BCE time period is one of culture change. Right. And right. there's so, so they're sort of trying to infer, make some kind of a larger inference about how the people who were secreting this stuff away were you know sort of yeah you know, the times they were a changing right followers of the old way and that there was a new way so right. i don't know if so we only have a what i'm trying to say is we have a subset maybe yes. they did this with all 200 burials but we don't have those containers um because these containers were found in a very specific context which begs the question why were these containers put in this part of the cave and secreted away was it just you know a dangerous situation let's preserve what we can or was it but we don't know that it wasn't a specific selection um and right. or was or were the or was it the last was this the last this of the tradition right there's only 200 and the burial chamber they were kind of they weren't exactly clear about the dates of all of this but they sort right. of said the chamber was active from 1450 to 800 BCE. Right. So was this sort of the last of the old, old ways? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And if it was the last of the old ways, the other question is, did they, the old folks seal it up because we know, we know the new people are coming in and we want to preserve it. Or is it the new folks respecting the old ways and we're not doing this anymore, but we're sealing it up. Right. 
um, which yes. I think is a question you can apply to, you know, issues in change of period in Southern Levantine archaeology as well. Um, sure. But. Um, and and that's right. And one of the things that I really liked, are we going to talk? give the title of the article and the, and the author? What is the, what is the title? Uh, Direct Evidence of the Use of Multiple Drugs in Bronze Age Menorca, Western Mediterranean, from Human Hair Analysis by Elisabetta uh, Garadoce and one, two, three, four, five other five other people. Okay. And and it's it's a great piece of work and it's very scientific and the inferences and the um you know extrapolations are very, I thought, prudent and not over overdrawn or, or overwrought in any way. So it's a very nice publication. Right. One of the things that they point out is um as we've noted before on this broadcast is drug use was rampant in right. antiquity yes uh, i mean literally literally everywhere on every street corner if they had street corners they would have <laughs> they would have drugs yeah and, it's true that was right and that was one of the things again we could go in different directions but one of the directions that this article does a very nice job very early on is talking about exactly what you just said how on in every you know corner of the of the globe, um, these early societies are using drugs. Yeah, um, and um, I mean, yeah. some of it could be medicinal. You know, because so in this case, they said it's not medicinal. They've in this case, that. they said that the some of the pathologies indicated by the skeletal remains would not be in any way ameliorated by these particular drugs. Okay. Okay. I missed that. That's, that's good. Um, I do like the uh, fact that I think they said it for atropine and scopolamine. Uh, one of the effects it can bring on is a feeling of alteration of the skin as if growing fur or feathers um, is a reported. <laughs> that right. sounds great. Yeah. Right. Um, and some of the figurines that were found in this cache, some were anthropomorphic, some were zoomorphic, and they talked about how, you know, this might indicate, again, exactly what you had already said, Alex, that they make some inferences, but they don't push the inferences to, you know, their the, the most extreme level that they sort of stay within, you know, very measured tones, um, that this might indicate the transformation, right, of some kind of uh, drug-induced, you know, mentality. And that's exactly what you just sort of mentioned, Rachel, that... Right. Um, you know, a feeling of fur or feathers or know, into an animal somehow. Right. Um, <laughs> Diarrhea, constipation, <laughs> decongestion, weight loss. Uh, it's like it's like one of those ads on TV. Well, all the all the counterindications at the right. bottom. Um, so, I mean, now I'm ready to talk about all the rituals that. <laughs> all right. That you were that you were all getting at a few minutes back. Um. I mean, would rituals have been done in the burial cave? Would rituals have been done outside the burial? Now, also, wait, let's back up because these people were ingesting it during life, not during death. So if they were drug-induced rituals, shamanism, whatever, that was going on while they were alive and then they died and then they did stuff with the hair of these people who in life had been involved in these rituals and sealed it up in tubes. Discuss. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, of course, what we're always going to be lacking. 
And I, I, again, this, you know, this is the whole issue of how you want to be, how you want to interpret data as a minimalist, as a maximalist, do you want to push it so far that, you, you know, it strains credulity? Do you want to not push it far enough so that you ultimately can say nothing about it? And all I'm left with at one point, at one level, is that there's a lot more drug activity going on in antiquity um, than we have ever had evidence for. And so that we need to start reconsidering both data and interpretation, maybe a little bit with that in mind. So now I'm going to raise one question that I had. One of the things that they, one of the symbolic motifs that they found on these tubes were concentric circles. Right. And they interpret that possibly as, you know, a hypnotic kind of, you know. Yeah, there's motif. a word, there's a special word for that. And they also talk about it being an eye. But what I want to mention, and because this is the Western Mediterranean, mm -hmm. and the three of us more or less work in the Eastern Mediterranean, but it's all <laughs> the Mediterranean, is that this concentric circle motif is, is very common in the Southern Levant and Cyprus and Anatolia, right. that you find these concentric circles from the late Bronze Age on, and I'm sure even earlier, but certainly from the late Bronze Age on, especially in things like ivory and bone. And we have always thought about them in, I don't know, pretty pedestrian ways as not, as not being, you know, oh, it's the concentric circle motif. But now if we combine this motif found on these tubes with concentric circle motifs found, let's just say in the Iron Age in the Southern Levant, and a lot of times they're found on cosmetic palettes or what we call cosmetic palettes and um, all sorts of bone inlay that are part of containers. Now I'm thinking, oh, they've got they've got their own little stash boxes themselves. <laughs> and maybe we need to think, uh, make some kind of uh, comparative, you know, analogies from from this stuff to. Um, well, these motifs are very common, you know, kind of repetitive geometric motifs. Right. Right. But um, they've never been, they've never been infused with, with, uh, with psychedelic kind of, significance. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Well, mean, they're very, very common in prehistory. And yeah. they're very, very common in, on textiles and seals and painted on pottery. Um, and then they get sort of, to generalize wildly, you know, they get sort of more uh, partitioned onto specific motifs. But, you know, this brings me, what you say brings me to one of my major uh, complaints uh, about, about archaeology is how much stuff we've thrown out in the last 200 years or failed to analyze mm -hmm. um, before we screwed it up with, you know, all sorts of preservatives and sealants and that now we're actually at the level of being able to take a, an, an ivory box with a funky motif on it and say, okay, what was in here? And let's analyze the, the residue. Let's analyze the, you know, molecular structure of, of all this and actually be able to get, you know, proteins out of soil samples and say, okay, what plants, what animals, what, you know, what's going on and we've thrown out so much stuff well so it's right. kind of an aside but it pisses me off okay <laughs> um, really noted 
Yeah. <laughs> I, and I got to say, I didn't, I, because concentric circles are one of these motifs that repeat everywhere. I mean, that's interesting, but I don't buy the eye, inner eye um, argument at all. Um, that that kind of irritated me because I think I mean they're very tiny and they're they're concentric circles and um, yeah that's fine but that doesn't mean they're an inner eye um, sketch of some sort so I just had to get that out there uh, right but I think that um, I I mean I don't think it's all speculative it's all highly speculative yeah, it is and motifs wherever motifs start from they end up in very, very different places. And once they get routinized and standardized, they really have no, there's no meaning left right. to them right. other than, yeah, let's put on, let's put some concentric circles in. We all, right. <laughs> we all like concentric circles. Um, um, but, um, right. But the, but just to go back, the, the, the European tradition of getting really wasted in caves and doing <laughs> some kind of rituals is extremely like profoundly long-lived because it goes back at, at least to the upper paleolithic maybe even earlier and you find it in africa and you find it in in asia and the americas later on <clears throat> but these europeans um and, and their ancestors going back to the neanderthals or cousins whatever the whatever the neanderthals were um, they just love getting wasted in caves. Wait, can and... we go down though? They I, they were wasted <laughs> during life, not not. I don't think the party was in the cave. Um, I think our <laughs> the party isn't in the cave, man. The party is <laughs> <was> life. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, everybody. We'll see you next time. <laughs> the party takes place outside of the cave sometime prior to to death because they've been ingesting this stuff long enough for their hair to grow long. So and they're just wasted it, all the time. But yes. in a land of predatory beasts and competing groups, the party might be in the cave. <laughs> it's like, okay, party, you know. Well, the party may be in a cave, but I don't think the party is in the burial cave. Because no, no, no. the party well, no, that's no, no, a good that's... question right there. Do you party in burial caves? Because that's another cross-cultural um yeah. feature. You find it everywhere in the world. You find burials and evidence for parties. My impression was yeah. that bodies are not disarticulated, the skeletons are not disarticulated. Well, I don't think I don't, it's not a question of articulation or not. No, it means you're not dancing around in, in urban. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's accusing of them doing a. Well, hold it. The cave had many chambers, so there right. could have been a, a dance chamber, and then, <laughs> and then there could have been, you know, the burial chambers. Okay. But I am. I mean, <clears throat> and I don't, you know, not to be presentist and all of that, um, but you know, you do like dark, secret places to do these kinds of, you know, that's right, alternative uh, kinds mm -hmm. of. Rich Where did the Beatles over. become famous? In the cavern. That's okay. right. Okay. And, uh, um, you do want to be in special places okay. that are out of the purview of everybody else. Right. Someplace where a, a saber-toothed tiger isn't going to pounce on you and your, right. and your fellow and partiers. And, and let's face it, if you're completely wasted, you're very vulnerable. True, too. So, True too. so you know, competing groups... Oh, I hear there's a there's a party at the uh, <laughs> cave tonight. You know, we we can steal all their junk. 
<laughs> okay, be that as it may, I just want to finish my carry my thought to its natural conclusion. They're they're partying and we'll never figure out the rituals that they're doing when they're partying. And and partying is so not the right word. <laughs> uh, but Why yeah, isn't it the right word though. Because these are, I don't know, these are serious rituals. These are somber, they? solemn rituals. They're rituals, but it gets to your original question, JP, of 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 you know, entertain not entertainment, what um, versus ritual. Um, right. There's so many rituals involved in even casual partying, yeah. right? Okay. Because That's all true. of these, the consumption <laughs> of these kinds casual of casual partiers that we are, <laughs> the consumption of these kinds of things, or really the consumption of any prestige specialized material, creates ritual and encodes ritual because right. firstly you don't have a lot of it and it's hard to get and it's precious it's a precious commodity so although that, these things are these things are just common plants right but you still have to prepare them you still have to collect yeah. them and however common they are i think one thing we can say is that our our ancestors globally all of our ancestors did not spend their entire lives huge societies were not stoned <laughs> for their entire lives right, right. I mean, that wasn't happening. Maybe, so, maybe they didn't. We just haven't heard about them. Because no, no, no. I mean, the slacker you know, civilizations that. Because uh, slackers can't build big, you know. Big that's right. They didn't leave a mark. What? They, just, they didn't leave a mark. They just stayed on the couch and got hived. And then I, they disappeared from the evolutionary continuum. Right. But somebody else who wasn't completely stoned were lifting huge stones and building walls and building. That's right. Right. They were doing a lot of construction and those two things do not. Can you help us a little bit with this henge? No, you know. <laughs> no man. I'm just the idea guy. <laughs> I'm, carving, I'm carving some concentric circles on a piece of wood. I'll get back to you. Third right. eye, baby. Third eye. <laughs> so, so I think, I think I think ritual comes out of these kinds of things. I mean, let's just think about drinking wine, right? You yeah. you open the wine, you let the wine breathe, you pour the wine, you swirl the wine, you stick your snout in the in the in the in the in the, in the goblet in the uh, cup. Uh, you taste a little, you taste a lot. I mean, there's yeah. when we do these kinds of things, we create lots and lots of ritual. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You're absolutely right. I want. I need to separate out the the ritual, whatever, when they were using these substances substances from the burial ritual, because I think what we're doing here, and possibly what was being done in the article, is yes, we have the science to look at the hair and from the hair find out that they were taking these drugs, but the people who were taking these drugs didn't know about the drugs penetrating into the hair. That's not why they chose the hair. Why are these people? Ah. Right. Okay. Yeah. So why are these people taking hair, right? <laughs> Which happens to be very useful to us, but why are they taking hair and preserving it in these antler thin tubes, which they've carefully yeah. carved lids and, for? And they're dyeing it. And they're dyeing the hair red after death. Right. Right. Why are they doing that? And why are they sealing it up so carefully? And does that mean that red haired people were the leaders of their community because they were inherently red as opposed <laughs> to having to have, dye their hair red? Right. And if, if you dye your entire body with cinnabar and you turn yourself red, are you a leader of society? <laughs> For a very brief period of time. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's you, why, And that's why you die. die between the age of 17 and 25. Stop right. conflating episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Confusing the listener. That's right. Self-referential self TV is, you know. No, it's true. 
Very important. We're we have our own canon. Exactly. Uh, we do. If only we could remember it. Um, right. So, no, but, but again, so why why are they doing this to some person's hair of all things? Right. No, that's a really important question. But it, and it's and right. I mean, the ritual part. I, I guess what I, I don't even know where we started, let alone where we're going. But <laughs> I think that ritual is very quickly created, and in small scale societies, of which all of these are, yeah, they can become you know, embedded in last centuries because of the small size of the society. But, you know, that's what families do is create rituals. We all, all of our families have rituals that we, um, you know, and whether those rituals last and how long they last and, you know, how large a group they permeate, those are almost accidental, but we're constantly creating ritual. That's very true. That's very true. Okay. And and this is one of the things that bothers me about, you know, the archaeology, uh, the archaeology of ritual is that people spend a lot of time trying to understand the the content or the meaning. Um, oh, these concentric circles actually indicate the sun, the moon, the stars, the third eye, the whatever, as opposed to, okay, here are the behaviors that are involved. Right. And yet we may not understand what they all mean to to the people involved. But we can we can assign them different kinds of uh, you know positions within a sequence, or um, you know they they shave be they shave their head before death, they shave their head after death, they dyed the hair this time or that time, they're taking drugs all the time, this sort of thing, and and you know do a a more broad kind of cultural reconstruction. Right. So, um, so sort of that, you know, structural anthropology is. Yeah. I don't, I don't think we can get into the heads of, of folks quite at the level that archaeologists so frequently desire to. Right. But, but we can that, tell about the processes. Right. Isn't that kind of what we want to do? And I've been reading a lot about narratives in archaeology lately and whether it's fair to fictionalize the lives in order to to figure out what they were doing to fictionalize it a little bit. Um, and there's a huge body of literature, much huger than I realized about this. Um, so isn't it actually our end goal a little bit um, to, to try to figure it out? We'll never figure it out, but, um, you know, we, I don't know. No, I, I think, right. And I think that becomes the ultimate um judge of one's scholarship is how far you push the data so yeah. people are now pushing it into fictional accounts to make it think to make them think that they're gaining a better understanding right that's a very personal predisposition people well, seem I, to be- I would I, I would say that everything that <clears throat> everything that archaeology, and and intellectuals do is about creating narratives um, well, as opposed to shopping lists of bullet points it's just a question of how elaborate those narratives are and how far you push your data into literally the heads or the mouths of the individuals that you're reconstructing and um i think i think that that has i think that that has limits but it's very it's very creative and it can be very insightful to, you know, to clan of the cave bear, (laughs) you know, your way into new levels of understanding. And it's also very engaging. It's sort of like, I don't know, having a podcast. 
it's, it's, it's certainly very engaging. Right. I think you all probably have very different um, perceptions of its utility and value. And it also, I think, there are big differences between prehistoric and historic archaeology in these regards. Right. Very true. Because when true. you have texts, you can read the text against the, the archaeological data and right. the, yeah. each inform the other, and you can gain better clarity of the other based on any, you know, right. right. So, um, so, but the archaeology also gives you the opportunity to, to learn things that aren't in the texts, like oh, everybody's using opium in the in the Bronze Age for whatever purposes, and people are smoking dope in in Judean religion for unknown purposes. So, what's up with that? How do we right. fit that in into our reconstructions or our our narratives? Right, um, and then reading or eating biblical texts against the fact against the notion of you know stoned priests because now now right. you, now it's sort of incumbent on us to do that right right uh, i mean a um, little bit okay uh, i want to ask us for our final thoughts smoke them if you got them <laughs> okay uh yeah um don't don't take scopalamine and drive. <laughs> um, uh, Rachel, the past is a foreign country. Ooh. Um, yeah, <laughs> a little phrase maker. <laughs> yeah, well, a little phrase quoter. <laughs> so yeah, um, yeah. All right. All right. It's a wrap. It's a wrap. Well, this episode has me rummaging through the medicine chest. Just out of curiosity, you understand. So as always, we'd like to thank our music director, the artist who is still known as Erez Dessel, Community Engagement Coordinator for the Chicago Philharmonic, for our theme music. Look for his performances in the Chicago area and, and beyond. Follow him on Instagram at 54BPM, with the little at sign in front of the, the rest of it. We'd also like to thank our sponsor, the Dumont Television Network, a division of Yo-Yo Dine Propulsion Systems. Be sure to watch Johnny Olson's Rumpus Room, mornings at 10. And so, to get in touch, leave us a comment. Why not? Hit the like button. It's shaped like a little heart. Follow us on Instagram at Twitter, at, at this ancient, again with the at sign, and on Facebook. Or contact us via electronic mail at This Week in the Ancient Near East, it's all one word, at gmail.com. Or just send us a postcard at P.O. Box 1177, Boston, Mass., 02134. <laughs>